Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And welcome back to Meeting of the Minds. Today, I'm here with the great Tony Recupero. Tony, thank you for joining us. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your journey. What, what, um, what inspired you? What helped take you to the next level? How did it all come about? You know, Gene, I've been in medical device sales for, um, it's shocking for me to say this, close to 30 years now. You know, started as a sales rep, progressed through sales management, uh, ultimately got into senior management. And I think the important part of this is what, what inspired me, you know, after a very successful career selling was I found I was enjoying helping others be successful more than sort of the, the, the personal accolades. It was, became more about the team for me than, uh, than, than almost anything else and seeing the light bulb go off over other people's heads. So in a, in a sales leadership role, you know, I think you're, you have to prove your value to your sales force every day. Uh, so that's what, you know, that's what gets me out of bed. And that's what, you know, feels great is when you, you create a team and a culture that wins. Makes sense. And there's a lot, um, that says a lot about you because there's a lot of people who they do well, maybe in the selling, but they're not necessarily a sales manager. Same thing. Like Ted Williams was a great baseball player, but he couldn't coach. Then there right. was other people who were maybe mediocre uh, players, maybe like a Joe Torre, but became a great manager. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, you know, there's the, the people who do both well, um, they exist, but it's, it's, it's not common. A lot of times your top salespeople, what makes them incredibly good is their focus and their complete dedication to growing their territory, pretty much to the exclusion of almost anything else. And, you know, when you move into a leadership role, you have to put others before yourself. You have to become a servant leader. Right, right. I remember reading in a Malcolm Gladwell book, I forget which one it was. He's written so much. I've read most of his books. But he said that people basically kind of get promoted up the, up the chain to a position where they tend to be incompetent, 
right? Because they're, if they're great at selling, they're, and as we said before, they're not necessarily the managers. What would you say makes that transition easier? How do you make that transition? Yeah, I think what you're referring to, Gene, is what I think what's referred to as the Peter Principle, uh-huh. um, where people are promoted to their level of incompetence. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and certainly, I hope that hasn't happened here. But, uh, you know, you, 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 you have to remain humble and you have to be open to learn and realize that you don't have all the answers. I think a lot of times what happens with young managers is they feel like they need to have all the answers that to show um, any sign of weakness by asking questions would make those who promoted them feel like, well, maybe this man or woman doesn't deserve to be here. And, and I, I can reflect on times early in my career where I felt like I had to do everything alone. And, and, and one of the things that I think is, is critical, whether you're a manager or a sales rep, is to realize that none of us does it alone. Right. That the more you reach out to other people to learn and to figure out how others are being successful, the more you open yourself up to input, the, the, the better you'll be. You know, you can sort of sort out what makes sense for you and your situation. But um, the longer I'm in this, the more I realize that I, I learn from everybody I interact with every day. Right. You see that as one of those common themes across all high level achievers. They have that constant, if you want to call it white belt mentality. They're always learning. They'll learn from anyone. It doesn't matter who they are. High, low, it doesn't make a difference. So that's yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I feel like you know, part of a leader's responsibility is to create a culture where that's encouraged, right? Um, you know, I tell my people all the time, if you're not failing, you're probably not trying hard enough. You know, fail fast, figure out what you learn from it. Um, I've been fortunate. I've had some great successes in my career, but honestly, I've learned far less from the successes than I have from the failures. It's those times where you fail and you say, oh my God, that is the worst. You know, I can't believe I didn't prepare enough, or I can't believe that I didn't have the correct response or the right material. And you you walk away from the sales call going, I will never let that happen again. Those are the moments that are, you know, transitional and transformational in my view. That makes a lot of sense. Sports, school, business, life. You have to be willing to fail. You got to be willing to to put it on the line because if you don't get in those situations, you never feel the sting and then you don't internalize it. Because I'm sure you see uh, when you're speaking with people, when you're leading you could tell them the lesson, but it's far more powerful when they feel it. And that only happens from the trial and error. Absolutely. For sure. Makes a lot of sense. Okay, great. So I wanted to get, and I know you hit on this already, but some of your philosophies for success, as you said, you have to be able to fail fast. You have to be humble, learn from everyone. What are some other qualities that you'd say make a champion? You know, I, I get this question a lot because I, I, I interview everyone that comes through our company, every single sales rep, marketing person. In my role as the chief commercial officer for SI Bone, I've got product management underneath me, worldwide sales and worldwide marketing. And I think it's so important culturally to meet with every one of those people personally so that they understand the culture. And, you know, in addition to, you know, humility and, and asking questions, you know, I look for people who are, who are very bright because I think, you know, one of the things that makes people successful is the ability to recognize what's happening and why and to be able to understand what's created their, their success and, and what allows them to reproduce that success. One of the things that I was really impressed with when I watched um, 
your podcast with Eric Swick is how he was able to verbalize uh, that similar concept. So I think it's super important that someone's able to do that. And I also think it's important for someone to be extremely competitive, but not so much to the point where they're not collaborative with their teammates, right? So, um, you know, we hire a lot of people who are D1 athletes, you know, in, in team sports and in, in sports that required, you know, you know, working together with other people. You know, I want to see that they're very competitive, but I also want to see that they're very coachable um, and sort of have, you know, uh, an attitude of, you know, I remember it was Alex Lukianoff at Nuvasiv back in the day um, who said, I want, to, I want to hire people that feel lucky, you know. Um, when people have a positive expectation about what's going to happen and a positive attitude, people can see that. People get motivated by your enthusiasm. And I don't mean sort of over-the-top, rah-rah stuff, but, you know, if you believe in what you're doing, it, it comes through. Absolutely. Absolutely. So many great points you hit on there. I, I wanted to key in there on what you said about making sure that you said meeting with the people individually, and it is important for them to understand the culture. How do you handle it if it's someone seems like they're, they're not in line with the culture? How do you bring them up to speed? Because that's absolutely a coaching and a mindset thing right there. No, nah, for sure. You know, and, and listen, it happens. Um, the best of us can make bad hires. Um, but usually it's not the hire's fault. It's usually, you know, it's, it's me or it's one of my people who maybe didn't see something. But I still feel like we have an obligation to try to make, you know, help people to become successful. You have to want to be successful, but, you know, it's our job as leaders to create the right environment for that to happen. And, you know, I had a, a, a great manager years ago when I was a, a brand new regional sales manager with U.S. Surgical uh, back in the 90s. And um, this guy's name was Peter White. And, and, and you know, I, I was a pretty successful sales rep. I got promoted and I got a group of people who were reasonably talented, but they sort of didn't like this young kid coming in that was going to be their manager. And, you know, my first impulse was, oh my God, I got to fire everybody. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember talking to Peter about it and Peter was like, okay, Tony, you're not going to fire everybody. (laughs) Here's what you're going to do. You're going to get to know your team. You're going to understand their strengths and weaknesses. And you're going to get to know them as a person. And you're going to realize that you have the same objectives, but maybe different ways of doing things. And Peter said, seek first to understand. So I think the more you spend time with your people, talking with them, understanding their motivations, understanding what they're trying to accomplish, the easier it is to find common ground. Now, that said, there will be people who are non-performers, right? It will happen even with the most rigorous hiring managers and hiring processes. Um, So you have to set expectations. Um, For some people, you need to be more specific. Uh, For others, you can, you know, sort of delegate the responsibility. I'm a big believer um, in uh, situational leadership where the leadership you deliver depends upon the skill level of the person that you're dealing with. Um, There's a great book on it, um, uh, Leadership and the One Minute Manager, which um, I provide to all of my managers because it's probably the single most simple, easy to understand guidebook on how to effectively lead people, whether they're an enthusiastic beginner, a disillusioned learner, um, if they are a peak performer. You know, how you manage people 
um, depends on where they are. I think it was uh, Blanchard who said, there's nothing so unequal as equal treatment of unequals. Meaning, you know, you don't get directive with your senior sales rep who's always performing. You, you say to them, hey, how can I help you? Where are you at? What do you need? You know, whereas with a brand new person, they have all the desire in the world, but you have to show them the steps to get to success so you can channel their energies correctly. So again, this is a, a principle with, with my teams that I try to instill because, you know, from time to time they get, you know, frustrated, you know, you got a lot of, you know, big egos and talented people, whether it be your salespeople, your managers. And if you can pull them together and create a culture where people collaborate, um, it's an incredibly powerful thing. And I've been very fortunate to be part of that in a, a few different organizations now. I love it. I was taking notes as you're, as you're speaking. So I make, I make sure I go back to it. I almost, I almost think about this, how we had the Peter principle. I've never heard it called this, but I would say the St. Francis principle of um, being Italian Americans. That's a big, that's a big deal for us. Right. But I may not so much seek to be understood as to understand. Right. I think about that. And I also think about the mindset with psychology. A lot of people look at motivation as just a rah, rah pep talk which it's not. The root word for motivation is motive. What are the people's motives for action? In other words, getting to know who they are, what level they're at, and how to reach those people individually. And that you do that with them and seeing that not everyone's the same and you speak to a peak performer different than a, than a hopeful beginner, right? So exactly. I think that's tremendous. Exactly right. You, know, you have to link their, their objectives to what you're trying to do. You have to show them that, what they want can be achieved through some common steps and some, some common objectives with the company and show them that these are not um, sort of separate and distinct. You know, I always try to understand, you know, what my team's motivators are and, and, and get to know them. And I think, I think the final piece of this is, you know, we hire bright people. They, they got pretty good BS meters, right? They know whether you're sincere or not. They know if you're, being self-interested or if you really do care about them. And when people see that you really care and, and by caring, I don't mean just kind of laying down what I mean. You gotta, you gotta keep a high bar. People will respect that. But if they see that you're genuinely concerned about their success, they'll walk through fire for you. Um, that to me is absolutely critical for everyone in my organization to understand that, you know, I got an open door. If you want to talk about something, great. Um, you know, let's, let's talk, let's get on the table. Let's figure out how we can, you know, get through the situation. That's great. And like you said, going back to before about the people who feel lucky to me, that's gratitude. I mean, our first principle with mindset is I'm thankful for the opportunity to work, to wrestle, whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is in life, you're a piano player. I'm thankful for the opportunity to play the piano. When you're coming from that area of gratitude, um, you are, going to be, you are going to be happy to help people. You are going to have that open door policy. You are going to be willing to learn as opposed to the people who are just stubborn, stuck in their own way and just kind of clocking in and clocking out. Like you said, people have a good BS detector. They'll sniff that out. Maybe people right. don't, they think they could get by on acting for a while, but you can't. People are smarter than that. You know, occasionally you run into people that feel entitled, right? Um, it, it happens quite a bit. Um, you know, my background was pretty humble. My, my dad was a bricklayer and my mom was a, a secretary. I grew up in upstate New York um, in a, you know, sort of a blue collar environment. 
uh, paid my own way through college, bought all my own cars. Um, you know, I was out of the house at 17 years old. Uh, you know, I just, nothing was handed to me. And what it made me realize is that everything that I've been able to achieve, you know, came from having this belief that there was a opportunity out there for me, something better for me. And what I've tried to do with my teams and what I've tried to do with my children is, is, is instill in them a sense of if you put in the work, you talk about philosophies of success, if you put in the work and the effort, good things are going to happen, especially if you can apply that to something that you really love doing. You know, I got, I got lucky in my career. The first couple of years I was in consumer products, didn't love it, got into medical device and found that, you know, it was the right spot for me. So it got easy. Work didn't feel like work. Um, my advice to people who don't, you know, maybe don't relate to that statement is, you know, maybe you're not, maybe you haven't yet found what's right for you and don't give up on that because it's an incredibly powerful thing to um, feel motivation. You know, if you, if you can't sleep at night, you, you get up and you jump on your computer and you're doing something like you know, most people can't wait to get away from work. Um, and I'm not saying you should become obsessed with it, but by the same token, uh, when you really are, you know, bought in, I, I think it makes a huge difference. It gives you a big advantage. Right. Just, just from the mental health perspective, you're going to be working for a long time. So you might as well love what you're doing. Feel, um, feel like it's a good fit. I think for myself exactly. too, when people bring up about, well, what's retirement going to look like? I tell them retirement to me sounds like death. Yeah. Cause yeah. I don't plan, on, I don't plan on ever stopping helping people with their mindset, working with teams and everything. So no, you it's do- so important. I, I think what you, what you guys do, I think is, is super important. I think the ability to transition some of the lessons learned from, from sports uh, and athletics to the business world is, is appropriate because there's something that you see in people that are successful. Uh, You know, I played baseball in high school. Um, You know, some of the best people that I played with, um, you know, there was just something about them. You know, they just sort of had a winning attitude, right? They weren't, they didn't get down on themselves. They, you know, you got to just put, you know, baseball's a game of failure. You know, you, (laughs) you struck out last time. If you take that to your next at bat, you're, you know, you're done. Um, so, you know, it's the same way in the business world, you know, especially in sales and, you know, what we, you know, what we do in our organization, you know, it, it isn't, you know, every, every place you walk into, Hey, great to see you. You know, sometimes it's like, Hey, what do you want? So <laughs> you have to, you have to be able to break that down for people and um, help them understand. It's not always going to be, you know, easy. Right. And even if, and even if you know, the odds are against you, sometimes it's just a matter of having a great at bat. Yeah. Whatever that, whatever that looks like. I know when um, the book I wrote about the building the predator mindset, that's our whole big analogy. I talk about Lance Berkman in the 2011 world series. If you remember that he was, he was, it was game six, I believe. And they were down. It was two. He was down to two strikes, two outs. And for him, he, he got the hit, got mm-hmm. on base, brought in a run. They wound up winning the game and then winning game seven, but they were down three games to two in the world series. And they interviewed him after I learned so much from watching the interviews. And he said, I, I, I knew I was probably going to make an out, you know, seven out of 10 times you make an out in baseball. I was just trying to have a good at bat, put the bat on the ball. And I'm like, wow, you know, you always, you always have this mentality that the great ones always expect success, but it's really more what he's focusing on. Just have a great at bat right now. 
just put the bat on the ball. And a lot of times good things happen. Well, I'm sure you see this in your work, but you know, from, you know, many of the books that I've read, you know, on athletics, you have to focus on the process. Um, I play tennis and I'm a CrossFit guy. And um, one of the things I have to remind myself because I'm not the strongest guy in the gym, right? I'm not the best tennis player out there. Um, I have to remind myself to focus on the process. If it's tennis, it's making good strokes, right? If it's in the gym, it's maintaining good form. Um, If it's in a sales call, it's asking good questions, you know, preparing, being ready for whatever may happen, being prepared. Um, So, you know, it's a common theme that I hear a lot, a lot with top athletes of process. Right. Absolutely. Were you in New York at the time when uh, Serena Williams, she was going for the grand slam in tennis and she got upset by the Italian woman. I forget her name even. No, I was not. Okay. Well, that's, that's another interview that I remember where she said, where they asked her after, they said, what gave you the confidence to win? And she said, no, no, I didn't think I would win. She said, um, they said, well, what, what were you telling yourself there? And she said, just return the ball. Just put every ball in play. That's all she was telling herself. And you know she was serious about the confidence because she had to reschedule her flight. She didn't think she was, she didn't think she was making the finals the next day. So they had to reschedule. So she really didn't believe she was going to win. But it came down to focusing on the process rather than the outcome. Exactly. It's, it's such an important point. Absolutely. All right. Less from me, more from you. Biggest mental mistakes you see people make that hurt them or stop them from getting to the next level. Probably the biggest is, is lack of preparation, you know, sort of winging it. I think a lot of times with salespeople who, especially those that are naturally gifted at it, um, you know, feeling like they don't really need to prepare or they don't have to, um, maybe not anticipating what's going to happen in a sales call, the different ways it can go. Um, I think that's one thing. I think another thing is lack of confidence. And what I'll tell you is the two are linked. Um, confidence comes from good preparation and sort of working through the different answers you may get. And again, I think Eric touched on that as well in turn, uh, as it relates to uh, the interview that you did with him, right? Talking about preparing for the different things that, well, if they say this, I can say that or or whatever, here's how I'll handle that objection, or here, here's the, the probes that I'll ask to try to elicit the information that I need to help establish need, because, you know, that leads to sort of the third point in my mind is, I see this with salespeople more often than anything, is they, and this, this comes from some other reading that I've done, where they try to deliver a solution before an explicit need has been, um, you know, sort of developed. Um, they just want to go in and, you know, do a feature dump, right? Hey, my product does this. It's got, you know, uh, you know, 3D printed, uh, you know, uh, architecture. And, and, and really what you have to do is you have to uncover the problem first and then show how your solution addresses that problem. Um, so, you know, that's super important. So those, those are probably the, the, the three biggest things, you know, preparation, confidence, and prematurely delivering a solution to a problem that you have not come to agreement with, with your, your prospect. If it makes a lot of sense, because a lot of times we think about what is it that our product that we think they should appreciate about our product instead of 
what is it that they are looking for? Instead of finding their pain, we sometimes jump the gun thinking, well, I've seen this so many times. I know what you're struggling with. And maybe a lot of times you can anticipate it, but other times you can't. Right. That's big. So the, the bull in the China shop approach doesn't always work. <laughs> and then also- I think it's some, in some things you can, you know, listen, you might, you might win the day, but you might not win the entire battle. Right. Um, I'm not saying that people can't be successful just by being aggressive, but I think in any sort of um, sale that involves a relationship, you have to establish trust. Um, You have to establish the fact that you're reliable. Um, You have to establish the fact that you're not going to try to sell them something that they don't need. Um, You really want to identify needs first and then provide the solution. And some of the best salespeople I've ever worked with, they'll talk to a doc and the doc will say, this is the problem I'm trying to solve. And the rep will go, you know what? I don't have the right answer for that, but I know who does. And I'm going to point you in the right direction. And the credibility of that sales rep goes up because the prospect, in this case, a surgeon says, this person cares about me, cares about my patients, and they're willing to do the right thing to help me to deliver the best possible solution. I'm going to throw them some business just because, you know, they're trying to do the right thing. Right. And that law of reciprocity in life, it tends to come around. And even right. if it doesn't, I would assume most people got into the business because they genuinely enjoy helping people. Of course, you're trying to make a living and you're trying to pay the bills. Of course, everyone is. But you're doing it because you love the relationships. You love giving the solution to the people. And sometimes the solution's not yourself. Right. No, for sure. You know, and, the, and you just reminded me of something as well, just in terms of, you know, what can cause someone to maybe not have the success. But I think a lot of times people have a preconceived notion about what's going to happen with a, a certain uh, account or a certain prospect that they're calling on. And they, they go in with a preconceived notion that it's just not possible. I remember, I remember back when I was a sales rep for U.S. Surgical, I was living in Southern California at the time. And um, my manager asked me to take over a territory for a guy who was leaving the organization. He was a pretty good friend of mine. And I remember going to have lunch with him and meet with him and going through the account list. And I remember him telling me, you know, hey, these three accounts are really good, but don't bother calling on this account. They're never going to, you know. And what it made me realize is that the reason that he had failed in his role was he, he gave up on himself and he gave up, you know, he made decisions about what he was and wasn't going to do in advance. And one of the first things that I did is I went to some of those accounts and introduced myself. And, you know, what I found was is that they said, oh, we hadn't seen Scott in this amount of time. And, uh, you know, he never called on us. We would have given him some business or whatever. So, you know, don't, don't be limited by what people tell you they think you can do. I mean, you really have to stay open-minded and, and, and explore opportunities that maybe you think aren't worth it. Now, granted, we all have a limited amount of time in the 80-20 rule. You clearly want to go after your best opportunities first. You've got to take care of your backyard. But I used to make it a point at the end of every day um, to go out and make calls on those accounts that, you know, weren't active. Um, I remember early in my career, um, either reading or listening to Zig Ziglar. And um, 
his, his quote was that competition is brutal between eight and five, but after 5 PM, it gets pretty easy. Um, you know, so it's, it, it's having the discipline to do, you know, what others aren't willing to do. Absolutely. There's no, uh, there's no competition on the extra mile, right? Yeah. Yeah. Big Ziggler. I saw Mr. Motivation. I saw him at, um, I guess the, the spectrum in Philadelphia at a get motivated seminar. Oh boy. That was probably 2011 or 2012. He was great. Is that right? Yeah. And the other one I'm a big fan of is I, I think it was probably four years ago. Now I went to, um, a Tony Robbins, uh, seminar and, um, it was great. I think I went into it thinking it was going to be a huge raw, raw session, but it was just a lot of, um, yeah, there's some raw, raw to it, but um, a lot of sort of introspective work about identifying where your opportunities are and thinking through, you know, what your life could be like if you take some steps. And, and it sort of leads me to a point when I, you know, got your note about uh, the interview. One of the things I started to think about is, you know, gosh, what am I going to say that people want to listen to? Um, and, you know, one of the things that I, th- I think is a hallmark of people who are successful is they get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, you know, you have to put yourself in situations where you're going to learn and grow. And it isn't always easy because we don't want to look vulnerable or we don't want to look stupid. But I think the more that you put yourself in situations where you have an opportunity to learn and, and you're humble about it, um, the, more, the faster you learn and grow, the more you progress. Absolutely. Tony Robbins is one of the big reasons why I got into this. My mom bought the Personal Power 2 series, and I would listen to it on the way to wrestling practice. And I said, man, I'd love to do this. That and also this book called Fight Your Fears and Win by Dr. Mm -hmm. Don Green. That's what got me into sports psychology. And he was talking about how having a, a courage log. So one of the exercises we provide our people is every day for 30 days, you make a calendar, you do one thing to push yourself outside of your comfort zone, just like you said. And then when those 30 days are up, you have 30, 30 pieces of evidence that show you you could push yourself when you feel uncomfortable, when you feel tired or bored or lazy or embarrassed right. or scared. Right. You're able to feel the feeling and push through it. Most people, they get the feeling and they think that's final. They don't know they could push through it. That's right. That's right. You know, I, I wish I had um, actually done a little bit more paying attention to uh, to wrestling when I was in high school as a baseball player, I sort of avoided it like the plague. And then when I got to college, I roomed with two all states, all state wrestlers, and I had no counters for any of their moves on me. So I was, uh, you know, I was always kind of uh, looking out of the corner of my eye, just making sure I was staying out of their way. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, well, for, but for sales success, I would take the baseball player because even though I love, of course I love wrestling, but baseball is a failure sport. So you have to be able to bounce back quick. You can't bring your bat out, your at bat into the field. You can't bring the error you made in the field to the at bat. You got to reset yourself quickly. You get really good at wrestling. You start dominating people. You're not resetting yourself as fast. Yeah, but I got to tell you again. You know, just referring back to the, to uh, the the interview with uh, Eric Swick. You know, to me it was impressive when he talked about spending time after the the meets going through the video tape that his dad had run in slow motion, looking at each sequence and saying, what could I have done different? What could I have done better? And I think that the most successful people always have that introspection where they're, they're critical of what they've done. They're trying to figure out what they can do better because they want to avoid that situation in the future where, you know, you're, 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 you're in a place where, you know, you can't, you know, you can't escape a hold of some sort. So um, yeah, I mean, the principles certainly carry over to business. Oh yeah. 
And Eric Swick's great. He's, he's clearly one of a kind. Great mindset, great guy. Yeah. Yeah, we got a couple of guys like that. We have a few wrestlers in our organization. We got Mark Samples in West Virginia and and some others. So, um, you know, some of the most disciplined um, sales reps that I've run across are are people with that background. That's great. Great. Final question. Living in a post-COVID world, what do you recommend to people to take it to the next level with their business, to stay prepared, to find opportunity? What do you say to them? Yeah, Gene, I got to tell you, this is this is something that's near and dear to my heart because we had to really kind of lean into this situation. We didn't sit back and say, oh, my gosh, we can't do anything because of COVID. Our customers aren't going to want to talk to us. We aren't going to be able to get into hospitals. We we said, you know, we need to reimagine our business. And I would say the same thing for every individual who may hear this is you got to think about in a world where I can't make sales calls on my customers or I can't get into the hospital, or I can't call on my client, or, um, you know, I think they may not want to see me. You know, we put together um, a process by which I asked every, every regional sales manager to work with their regions to come up with all the solutions to these issues. I said, guys, imagine if you will, you can't do anything the way you've been doing it. Tell me how you would do it. We came up with about 500 different ideas some of them overlapped, of course, and we narrowed it down to about 100. And then we identified from there, what are the things that they're already doing that they don't need help with? What are the things that they're asking for that they're going to need help with? What do I need to get resources for? And we put together um, a, an initiative to help the teams get there. And I think the way you look, that's how we did it organizationally. But I think the individual's got to look at it and say, how can I stand out from the competition um, during a time when it's tough? And I think I think the number one thing you have to do is you have to put your personal desires to, 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 to grow your business in second place behind how do I help my customer? And I think the more your customer sees them as being sincerely interested in, in benefiting them, you know, people buy from those who help them to grow, right? They, they want people who will help them be successful. So um, those, those are the lessons that I think make you sort of a unstoppable force. Absolutely. Giving the value first, sometimes give it, giving the value unselfishly and what that, what goes around comes around. And For sure. If, so that, that's phenomenal. Tony, that's great information. Thank you very much. Really love talking to you. And yeah, we're definitely on the same page with a lot of this stuff. It's great. No, absolutely. Listen, it's been an absolute honor. Um, I'm humbled that you asked and um, uh, wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Great talking, Tony. Okay. Hey, take care. All right. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.